You're listening to Higher Ed Social, part of the Connect EDU network. Welcome to the show. Um, so I'm glad to be uh, here. Yeah, um, I've got Kevin Singer with me here today, and I just, as usual with our guests, uh, just uh, kind of introduce yourself and let everybody know kind of what you do. Sure. Yeah. So my name's Kevin Singer. Um, I do a few things in higher education. Um, my primary role is I'm a research associate on the Interfaith Diversity Experiences and Attitudes longitudinal survey which is a very long acronym uh, uh so it's ideals is is the acronym um ideals is a national study of students interfaith engagement and experiences with worldview or so uh, religious spiritual non-religious diversity on their campuses uh it spans over 120 institutions there's there's a qualitative and a quantitative component so there's a survey component and an interview based component um, and so that's, that's a big part of what I do. I'm also a PhD student in higher education at North Carolina state in Raleigh, where I live with my uh, wife, Brittany and four young children. And, um, when I'm not, um, changing diapers and, um, putting chicken nuggets in a microwave, I, uh, and working on ideals, I am co-director of an organization called neighborly faith. Basically we're working with evangelical colleges to create pathways on campus to, um, support relationships with other faith communities. And so, um, those are sort of my primary roles, um, that I, you know, do in higher education. That's kind of awesome. Um, and I definitely know the chicken nuggets thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we literally just bought, we literally just bought a few weeks ago, a yeah. convection microwave oven. So oh, like the okay. microwave oven turns into like an oven oven and Whoa. it like, it like makes the best chicken nuggets. <laughs> and it so, preheats so like for you. it preheats like twice as fast. Oh my um, goodness! I'm gonna have to look it, into that. It's so nice. I mean, it wasn't super expensive, but it was. Uh, and it, you can control it with your phone, like you scan the oh, chicken nuggets wow. with your phone, wow. and then it automatically with your oven, your microwave <laughs> oven. Well, well, more it just automatically <laughs> sets all the things for you. So all you have That's to do nice. is put the chicken nuggets in and hit start. Um, That's awesome. And then it tells you when to flip them over. It's way too much. But well, I'll also, tell you what. When you're, I'll tell you what. When you're making 132 chicken nuggets a day, you're not flipping anything over. You're just that's a lot of chicken it, nuggets. You're putting it in for too long and then throwing it in the freezer for five minutes. That's how you. That's how you set it because you don't want it to be too hot because then the kids won't eat it. You don't want it to be too cold. The kids won't eat it, and so you have to find that uh, ideal temperature. And there's your higher ed social dad tip of the day. Um, <laughs> and that'll be have, the episode. Great which to we meet you, done. everyone. It was great. So so to talk about um, – let's talk a little bit more about ideals because it um, – you guys put out some research that has some really interesting findings in it, especially about yeah. friendship and its relationship yeah. to worldview. Yeah, yeah. Um, we just released a national report entitled Friendships Matter and – Really, the the onus of the report is that um, when students are able to make friendships across different religious, non-religious beliefs in college, um, it supports all sorts of terrific outcomes for students, including, um, you know, they're more prepared for a pluralistic world. Um, but they also appreciate all groups more. So, if, like, for example, if a student makes a friend with a Buddhist on campus, they're more likely in that case to be appreciative towards 
all groups, including Muslims or Hindus or evangelical Christians or atheists or political liberals and conservatives, et cetera. And so it's friendship just has this incredible ability, even more so than take like a welcoming campus. Like I think a lot of times professionals really want to hone in on, is this an inclusive campus? Is this a welcoming campus? But friendship even outpaces those factors in terms of the ways that it really prepares students for the world outside the campus. So it's not just about putting them together, but it's about building the friendships between them. Right, right. And that's, it's hard because, you know, I think I read something like Gen Z is the most isolated generation, right, ever. Because we have, of, we have that problem. A lot of research says that friendship is a, is something that's lacking these days. Right, right. It's, uh, again, I don't want to butcher any statistics, statistics I've read lately, but it's some just absolutely frightening number of Americans don't have a close friend. Like they, they do not have someone who they invest levels of trust and, and, and intimacy. And, and of course in, in college, there's just this unprecedented opportunity for students to develop friendships like this. You know, they're in their residence hall rooms till three in the morning drinking <laughs> coffee or whatever they're drinking. Definitely um, coffee. To know one Definitely coffee. <laughs> coffee and water. Um, but I mean, I know for me, even when I was in college, you know, the friendships I made across worldviews were really formidable. I mean, like I made a really, I made a really formidable atheist friend in a philosophy of religion course. And I've never looked at atheism the same way again, because having some real living, breathing person with skin who, you know, ascribes to that worldview, it's, it, it really brings down a lot of those walls that I think we build up based on misinformation and what others tell us in our, in our caves about others. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think the report really just tries to capture some of that, that there's this, there's this human element to the other that we sometimes miss in our society and throwing rocks across our various lines of difference. And those friendships can be really, really powerful for students. Yes, I, I definitely see that. And I, and I mean, you know, in my experience in higher education, I have seen students who come in who you know, are incredibly conservative or students who come in that are incredibly liberal. And I don't mean in a political sense, I mean, in a faith sense, um, mm, yeah. or, or even a political sense and the ability to, um, to sit down, have conversations, have arguments sometimes. Um, and then, and, and at the same time also see the things that they agree on, um, really helps them grow. And, and I, I'm sitting here talking, I'm the social media guy, um, yeah. but, but, you know, with what I do and what, what, what I see and, and, you know, the environment that I work in, mm -hmm. um, it's really fascinating and, and uplifting to see mm -hmm. those kinds of things because, you know, um, I, I'm not going to talk about politics per se, but I will mm -hmm. say that when we, ha when there are political discussions and I see, those kind of interactions, I, I know that the interactions that they had previously with their friends of differing ideas uh, help temper those tempers a little bit when it comes to these yep. political arguments. And I think that makes us better, yep. you know, as a yep. society, you know, um, yep. I have a little hope. I have a little hope for us um, mm -hmm. because, you know, mm -hmm. you go on the Internet and um, there's there's no hope. All hope is lost. Um, <laughs> but then you get yeah. off the internet and you see people interacting with each other and they just, man, I feel like the worst social media person for saying, okay, kids get off the internet. Um, yeah. but, but really they should. 
Um, if if yep. no one liked things on Instagram because they were all like hanging out in the calf together, having great discussions, I would not complain. I would not. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, one 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 area of the research in spirituality and religion and higher ed that has been looked at quite a bit lately is is the digital landscape. Um, mm-hmm. A friend of mine wrote a, a dissertation, does some research on black atheists, and there's there's a there's a lot of community happening online around some of these maybe my more minority faith uh, and religious expressions or non-religious expressions. Um, and it's, I guess that's kind of a challenge for, for all of us as we think about how to make our work important, relevant, and, and significant um, in the coming years is how do we translate our work in, into the digital landscape? Mm-hmm. Um, and for, again, I think for minority religious and non-religious communities, a lot of that does happen digitally. It does happen online. Uh, the question is, is because I, I know I've read some some great scholarship, um, for example, on Hindu students associations, where the one of the primary data sources was online message boards. Like that's where they <laughs> learned about Hindu students, um, because that's where a lot of the a lot of the conversation was happening um, around different points of tension or different things within the group. And, and so, I have to say for me, I mean, even for me, and I, I'll say this when I was and what got me into social media in the first place. Um, when I was in college, um, I ran a message board, um, and that message yeah. board yeah. Um, helped me make friends that were my age all over the world. Yeah. And what's what's interesting about that is, you know, back then I feel like there were more cultural norms with being mm-hmm. online. Like this is, you act and you treat people a certain way. You treat them like people. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then of course memes started popping up, and you know. Um, and people realized that they could get away with stuff with zero consequence. Yes. Um, and once once people realize that there's no consequences to bashing people online, other than maybe a guilty conscience, um, yeah. which you can easily, you know, make go away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and I admit, I, I, I've been a jerk on the internet before too. But one of those things that I've kind of missed about the early days of the internet is... Well, at least in the community that I created is that people having respect for each other, respect for each other's opinions. We argued till we turned blue in the face, but um, about so many things from gun rights Mm -hmm. to religion Mm -hmm. to um, the healthiness of of vegetarianism, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. But, you know, I don't think we ever like hated each other to the point of Mm -hmm. what things Mm -hmm. are these days. Mm -hmm. Um, So. I think yeah, these days, I think the internet can be a positive thing, but yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm seeing it less and less, and it's actually making me kind of sad. Right, and I think I'm what I'm convinced of personally is it, it's so so often the the problem isn't even necessarily how we communicate; it's that we don't communicate. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's um, I mean, even you know, our report, of course, shows some really promising and exciting findings about students in terms of how many friendships they have coming into college. I think it's, I forget exactly, exactly their percentage, but a significant amount of students come into college with like five or more French diverse friendships, which is really amazing. Uh, there is a small group who come in with, with one to zero <laughs> friendships across significant differences. And, and about 37% of those students end their first year, for example, without having made those, those friendships. And it's, it's, it's interesting because it, of course it creates some pause. Like, 
you know, are, are, are campuses really creating the conditions for these friendships to happen? Or are there ways that we are, maybe we don't even realize we're perpetuating the distance that exists between groups with significant differences. And um, I know from, from just speaking from personally, like I, I know it's so much easier to believe sort of common tropes or, or common misconceptions about someone. It's so much easier to just sort of remain in my echo chamber and sort of believe those things about that person. It's because mm-hmm. it reinforces my biases. It reinforces my presuppositions. Like the whole world, like, like my world is, is safe and secure from any provocation that might challenge it. Right. Um, but it's, it's the, it's the lack of proximity that I think we really have to people of, who are different. Um, because I mean, I, I know that I, my brother, for example, he's, he's very strongly conservative, more politically conservative than, than I am. And, um, like having weekly conversations with him, even digitally, you know, yeah, there's those, there's those, uh, you know, those, those things that happen yeah. digitally where I know they wouldn't have happened in real life. Like we, we wouldn't have said it that way because there's higher stakes when you're in person with someone, but still like having those weekly conversations with him just helps me to keep that empathy. Um, even if I don't fully agree, just that sense of this is a, this is a real person. This isn't, this isn't a concept or a theory or an argument or a media trope. This is a person, someone that I'm, I feel personally called to love. And so that, 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 that sort of, how do we bridge the distance, maybe even more pressing for say student affairs professionals or collegiate administrators than, you know, how do we get students off, off, offline? Because I mean, frankly, I'm not even sure a lot of those conversations are happening online. And that's the, that's That's the problem. And if they are happening, it's people writing sort of like, you know, competing op-eds sort of, again, throwing rocks from, from behind the, behind the trench. So um, yeah, I'm excited. I think one thing the friendship report really says is, is that it's worth it. Like it's worth it to take, uh, measures to get say political liberals and political conservatives in a room, even if it's high risk, even if you're not sure how the conversation is going to go, like there's just something really powerful about getting people face to face with one another. And, and if, if friendships can form, which they often do, um, it's amazing yes. what can happen if everyone's just sitting around eating pizza. Like it's, I've, I've seen it myself between evangelicals and Muslims. Like you bring pizza in the room and it's like, Oh, I don't even know. Like, I just, I just want to hang out and eat pizza. That's um, not a college trip at all. Yeah. <laughs> But, so but anyway. you know, but it's true, but it's true. It's so yeah. true. I mean, how many friends did you make in college over pizza? Uh, a lot. Too many. Um, too, too many. many. And too bad many. food in the calf. Um, oh, and the pizza wasn't even good. It wasn't even good pizza. Um, actually, no, a lot of it was good because I went to, I went to school in the Chicago area. So there was a uh, very good pizza, but, um, and I just yeah. want to make a quick disclaimer. When I say bad food in the calf, I don't necessarily mean Belmont's calf. I love the food there. <laughs> I'm talking about when I was in college, um, and I just don't want to name that uh, place. So yes. um, it's it's the place that shall not be named. Um, yeah. I'm just so used to calling it the calf. Um, so there you go. Um, <laughs> but but those are the relationships that you make throughout life that that don't just change you, and you don't realize that they're changing you. Um, until exactly. you're, you know, so far in, um, it's too late, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not too late in a bad way. It's too late in a good way because, um, you know, it, it's like there, there's so many, there's so many parts of college that can like really, and this is just from like doing this show. 
yep. uh, and talking to so many people, they're, 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 they're like turning points in your college career that like change your life. Um, you know, meeting people that are different from you. Um, yep. I think art is one of the big things study abroad. That's another mm-hmm. one because it makes mm-hmm. that other thing happen too. Um, yep. meeting people that are different from you. Um, and, and um, the same thing, you know, going to classes with professors that you don't agree with. Um, that's another thing. And, and there's like a common thread going through all of that. And that's pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Yep. Yep. No, I mean, we've, in one of our previous national reports, it's if faculty and staff are having spiritual conversations with students, it has, again, all these, all these great outcomes, one of which being students are more likely to really own their worldview. Um, if they're having spiritual conversations with faculty, there's, there's, there's some reflex happening there where when you're really sitting down with someone who's an expert in a field and you're discussing issues of spiritual or religious importance, there's, there's some, um, connection to students saying, you know, I think I really want to hone in more on this identity in my life and really come to terms and reckon with what is that identity and how do I individuate maybe from other sources of authority, like my parents, how do I really own this for myself and figure out what it means for me, for example, to be Muslim or for me to be, um, uh, atheist or for me to be Zoroastrian, et cetera. There's, there's this really powerful reflex that happens when faculty and staff are willing to be honest and vulnerable and have those conversations with students. I remember, so I was in college for six years. Um, Mm. I have a degree in biology, minor in geology. Everyone that listens to the show knows that. But um, um, generally, I can sit down and I can think what individual lecture of all the six years in college do I remember? And the Mm -hmm. one, the only lecture I remember was Dr. Benz's class and Mm -hmm. that day we talked about religion. And, um, this is a, this is a marine biology class. Um, and just, I don't know, something just kind of set him off that day. And he just, we had a conversation about what is fact, what is truth, what is, um, what is natural, what is supernatural. Um, it wasn't about any particular faith or, or anything. It was just the difference between truth and fact and the difference between science and, um, and, you know, spirituality. Mm-hmm. And it was probably one of the most enlightening conversations I've ever had with a class. We were all, we all seemed to be into it. Um, and he was really into it. And it was just like a conversation that none of us had ever had. I went mm. to a state school. So that was, that was odd. Um, mm-hmm. That's not something you see at those. But what people, yeah. what people don't realize, and, and it's something that you, I mean, I work at a Christian university, I see it every day. But when, when, and this is just me, and um, I'm sure there's some research to back it up, but when you encourage students in their faith, it, it makes them help, like mentally healthier, I think, to mm-hmm. some extent, because, mm-hmm. because part of the, part of the thing that helps bring us together, and this is whether you believe in something, whether you don't believe in something, um, you know, whatever that faith is, as long as you are able to engage in it in some way, mm-hmm. um, you know, it makes you feel better and mm-hmm. it, it gives you a community of people to, you know, interact with. Um, mm-hmm. and, and not to say that you shouldn't interact with people on the outside, because obviously you should, as this says, but um, it's, it's a good thing um, to, to have faith. And I think sometimes we and believe me, I'm, I'm kind of liberal 
uh, I, I think that that's something that we're lacking these days is people talking about what they believe in and, you know, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of times people associate faith with conservatism and, and I think that that leads to progressive faith orientations, maybe not being explored as much as maybe they could or they should, or, um, it's, it's interesting. You know, one of the, one of the struggles I think on college campuses is, um, particularly public campuses is like, how do we construct like a faith life on campus? Like what is like, you know, is that a small interfaith group? Is that creating like a, like an interfaith, you know, prayer lounge? Like how do we create a sense of identity around the religious diversity that we really ought to be celebrating on campus? And a lot of times, like take conservative religious groups, they don't want to be on campus to, to be, you know, they, they, they tend to hole up outside of campus, um, where they, they, because a lot of times I think conservative student groups sense, you know, that they're a little bit wary about university intervention and they really want to practice sort of holistically and fully who they are. And so they'll, they'll kind of take a step off campus. Whereas other groups, I think, feel more of a sense of centrality on campus. They'll use that interfaith prayer lounge or they'll go to that interfaith group and they'll work with, you know, different university offices and departments to, you know, how do we celebrate the interfaith diversity on campus? And, you know, I know for me, an interest of mine is, you know, how can, you know, take a public university or college, how can, how can they create a sense of faith identity on campus that's inclusive, sort of across the continuum, sort of progressive, religious majority, minority, conservative, um, it's hard to do, um, given just the trend, for example, of religiously conservative groups maybe wanting to hole up outside of campus where they feel safer um, to, to fully express themselves. Um, it's, it's a challenge, right? Because I think, as you said so well, um, faith is not something that's necessarily like treasured among the diversity identity categories. Like I think Ibu Patel, president of Interfaith Youth Corps often says it's the neglected stepchild of diversity issues. Like, mm-hmm. um, people, I think that's the hardest thing for me is like, if a student goes through an orientation at a college, for example, you know, where diversity is celebrated and, you know, um, I imagine, for example, if a college said, actually, this year we're going to celebrate religious diversity, too. We're going to talk about how there's a Muslim group and a Hindu group and a Jewish group, and we're going to talk about how these groups have contributed to the common good. I imagine that could stop a lot of, for example, bigotry before it starts, just knowing like that the campus really prizes and celebrates this diversity mm-hmm. um, sort of across the continuum. I just imagine, you know, if if administrators, for example, really set the expectation very early on, like we don't just want you to celebrate racial, ethnic, gender and sexual diversity. We also want you to really hone in on and think about how religious diversity will improve and 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 make your experience here awesome. Like and we really want you to think about how to build friendships across those differences. I think setting that expectation could really be a powerful way to make use of this category that a lot of people are afraid to touch. Like, how do we actually make this a good thing for our campus? How do we utilize and leverage this to make the campus a a really amazing place that students, you know, remember and cherish for the rest of their lives? You know, that is, that is a great place to end on. And that was a great statement. I just, Oh, sure. (laughs) That's awesome. And, um, and I'm just really glad you're on the show this week. Thanks for, I know it was a little crazy getting the scheduling going, but I'm, I'm really happy we were able to chat. 
Yeah, me too. I uh, love the show and love what you're doing. And um, yeah, I'd love to come back sometime. And thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk a little bit more about Ideals Research. And uh, if I could say this too, if, if listeners are more interested or are interested in, in uh, learning more about um, religious and spiritual diversity in higher ed, you can head over to our organization's website, idealsresearch.org. You can also find us on Twitter where we're always posting new blogs. And even this week, um, one of our research associates here at NC State, her name's Helen Wu. She's a Chinese international student, and she wrote about how coming to America, she never expected to make so many friendships across religious differences and just the beauty of, of those friendships and how they've contributed to just the amazing experience she's had here. And so we, we like to post and feature different reflections from different people on our blog, and um, or you can reach out directly to me at kcsinger at ncsu.edu. I'd love to answer any questions and tell you more about our work and and help you get involved yeah and we'll have links to stuff like that well we'll have all those links in the in the show notes um um when this comes out so uh listeners head down to higher and like i said get links to the stuff we talked about today and subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts if you like the show please consider giving us a review on apple podcasts it helps people find us and it lets us know what you think of the show don't forget to follow us on twitter at ags podcast Send us a tweet. We love talking to you. And don't forget to let us know if you want to be on the show. Higher Ed Social was created by Jackie Vitrano and me, Logan Bishop, and is produced by the amazing Emma Haas. We're part of the Connect EDU Network, the first podcast network for higher ed. Visit the website connectedu.network and subscribe to some other awesome shows no matter where you work on campus. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.